Hey, it's Dave. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability rate of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no meetings. This is the silent nightmare for us marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. And the most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can see how Ashby does it right now on Apollo's site. Marketers using Apollo have seen email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get? Head over right now to apollo.io slash exit5 and start using it completely free. That's apollo.io slash exit5. You can start using the tool completely free. You don't even need a credit card to get started. Go and check them out. Apollo.io slash exit5. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Demandwell. Demandwell is the best SEO solution for B2B SaaS marketers. They've helped customers like Lessonly drive 40% of their revenue from organic search, and they help Terminus make organic search their number one source of demos. Here's how it works. Number one is results. Demandwell is built for driving the outcomes that B2B marketers care about. Demand, traffic, leads, and revenue. Number two is ease and control. Junior team members can follow recommended steps right in the platform, while experts can customize and maintain full control over their work. Number three is speed. With everything in one platform, Demandwell helps you crank out content that ranks and drives leads in minutes rather than hours. SEO expert or not, you can give Demandwell a try and listeners of the Exit 5 podcast can get a free competitive SEO audit to see just how you're ranking relative to the competition. Go to demandwell.com backslash FOMO, that's F-O-M-O, and you can get a free SEO consultation today right from Demandwell, that's demandwell.com backslash FOMO, F-O-M-O, and you'll get a free SEO consultation today. One, two, three, four. Exit. 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 My guest on this episode is Mitch Cossey. He's founder and CEO of Demandwell. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. We're here. Perfect. We'll let people roll in. Yes, people are here. Hello. Okay. Uh, Nicole's from Indianapolis, obviously. Are you in Indianapolis right now? I am. Okay. What's up, Andrew? Amy's here from Austin, Texas. My wife's going to Austin next week, two weeks, Cleveland, Ohio. I'm in Vermont. Oh, nice. Donald's here. She made this happen. Thank you. Okay. Look, I want to shout everybody out, but we're going to cover a lot. We could talk forever. Mitch and I are now fully onboarded with Goldcast. We will not screw this up today. For everybody uh, watching, we will be recording this. Yes, we will be recording this. I'm going to interview Mitch. I have a lot of questions I want to ask. And selfishly, I think that I'm going to try to speak on behalf of a lot of marketers that I've been part of in the community and other places because I wanted to do a session on like demystifying SEO for B2B. You and I were just talking backstage about like, I've made mistakes in the past where I've underinvested in SEO or thought about it wrong or thought I was in too crowded of a market. But you've seen time and time again that this is a fundamental piece of a, of a modern B2B marketing strategy. And I think that's why there's so many people that showed up for this. 
we had this idea to partner on it, but I didn't expect to have over a thousand people registered. So I think this is a hot topic. I want to dive into that. You can put all your questions in. There's a Q&A. You can put text Q&A. Mitch and I are going to pause every now and then and take some questions as they come up. But I'd also love to give you the opportunity if you took the time out of your day to be here today. You can also do a video Q&A. So if you raise your hand, we'll pull you up on stage and, and I'd love to hear from you directly. So Mitch, that said, thanks for doing this. Give us some quick background on you from the first marketing person at Lessonly to now founder of a SaaS company. Uh, what's your backstory? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Dave. Stoked to be here. And thank you all for showing up. Hopefully we can be helpful today. So background on me, you know, actually my personal mission statement is to help others grow. So days like today is like just fantastic in my mind. And that just so happens to be our company mission statement as well is to help others grow. But yeah, so, you know, I've been doing SEO since I was in college. I was just not satisfied at all with the level of digital marketing education going on when I was going through school. And so I started doing SEO kind of nights and weekends during college. But fast forward to Lessonly, I joined as the third employee overall, but first marketing hire and built up that whole you know marketing program. I actually tried to completely avoid SEO at Lessonly. I don't know if I've told you that, Dave, but no. I didn't want to be viewed as this like one trick pony kind of thing. And so I tried to completely do everything but SEO. Even um, though that was your background. Even though that was my background. Yeah. You silly young marketing person. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like you need all the advantages that you can get and let's just throw away the channel that I actually know how to use and let's come up with something brand new. Awesome. Exactly. Exactly. That was me and uh, learned quickly. So I, I was like mid doing all these other things and then published one download with a form at the time. Uh, we did end up ungating it uh, eventually, but it was in vogue at the time. It was pre-you, Dave. People but, can't say the word form around. I don't like the, the drift thing is is in the past now. It's okay. We, you know, people say the word like they're like, oh, we used an F on yeah. the website. And I'm like, what? They're like a form. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I launched our first downloadable asset on a Monday. And by Friday, we had over a hundred people who had downloaded it. And so, you know, we realized that market was uh, really good for organic search. And so grew that out a lot. We did invest a lot in organic search and that is still their number one channel as a single channel to drive growth today. But after five years of working at Lessonly, just had the time of my life, but had this long-term dream of starting my own agency. So I did, that was February of 2019. Started just me, just doing services for about 18 months. Had a great time doing that, but I was just, I was holding our customers back because it was me plus a spreadsheet. Right. And that has only so much scale. So I decided to actually turn this into a software company. And uh, that's what we are today. It's amazing. So wait, just the goal of this is not to make it like for those listening to not to make it a full demand well story, but I'm just curious. So I'm going to ask, so we're going to get into the SEO stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What part of the like human agency part uh, does demand well replace? Yeah, absolutely. So we like to say it's the best of both worlds of what exists today. So you know, you've got agencies that can have really high customization, but really low scale. And then on the other side, you've got data dump tools like SimRush that provide nearly infinite scale, but almost no customization. And so we've found this balance between the two where we've created a platform that can be, you know, very scalable, but also customized uh, to each individual 
customer. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk about SEO. As a marketing leader, marketer at a B2B SaaS company today, building out a marketing strategy, where does SEO fit? I think it fits in a marketing mix. It is not a silver bullet. And I know some people are shocked when I say something like that. Like, <laughs> we actually find that folks that are doing well in many channels do better in organic search than those who say, I'm going to abandon everything else and just actually, do can search. I, can I, can we take yeah. this back even further? Yeah. Let's start like this. Who owns SEO? Like, where does SEO sit in a modern marketing team? Who owns it? And what is the job that that role should be playing? Yeah. Yeah. Totally love that. So I would argue if teams are split between brand and demand, you know, I think it lives in the demand side. I think SEO often gets plugged into the brand side because it's uh, involved with and tangential to content and content typically lives on brand. Mm. But I actually view SEO as a distribution channel along the same exact lines as email, paid, you know, ads, you know, all that. Okay, so you're talking about you have a content team and you have a demand gen team. I would say most companies here have that. Yep. You're actually basically splitting parts of the function. And so I, I like this approach also because I think I've I've kind of also found that like oftentimes if you want to hire good writers, you need to hire good writers who want to write. They don't want to do the the things that you might need content to do, like grow traffic, convert it this clip you know, rank for these keywords, it's it's very rare is that same personality type. And so when exactly. you split them out, you can actually achieve those things. But how do those two functions like wor work together? Because I've seen it kind of like content team has one set of goals, SEO team within demand gen has another set of goals. What are like the rules of engagement? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, one thing on how to find those people, a question I love to ask in interviews for that kind of role is, uh, do you identify as a writer who can market or a marketer who can write? And, you know, marketers who can write are probably better fit for the SEO performance side. You know, writers who can market probably better on the brand side. But yeah, I, th I think it totally depends on, you know, the team culture and team leadership in terms of, you know, how those come, you know, how those two parts are working together. There's a lot of opinions around this stuff. And, uh, you know, where things go south is when, you know, demand has a very strong opinion that it needs to be only SEO and only distribution. And brand is, you know, let's never say the word, you know, algorithm ever again in our life. And like when, when that's the culture, um, it's very difficult for them to work together. But yeah, if we can all be on the same page that, you know, we're in business to drive growth, it's not an art project, it's not a writing competition. It is, you know, a business. If you can align around that, then I think you can find that balance. Well, it's like also it's not binary in that like just because you're doing SEO doesn't mean you can't also write a short blog post about your podcast in a way that is meaningful or, or write something else exactly. creative. I think you can pick and choose your spots. You do them both. So, all right, if demand gen owns SEO. What do you like to see from like a goal standpoint? Like how do you how do you measure that channel? How do you set a goal for it? Demand Gen is responsible for bringing in creating 10 million dollars in pipeline. How does SEO fit into that puzzle? How do you set measurable goals around SEO? So, as you know, having been in the marketing seat, I am really not ever satisfied with goals that are less than revenue. And then revenue sourced. You know, if I were if I were in that seat again today, 
and you know had someone focused on SEO reporting to me, I would hold them to revenue source from that. There's a couple problems with that though. One is uh, <laughs> we find a lot of marketers today still have a really difficult time attributing revenue, especially to organic channels. You know, it's it's a lot easier when you can have your UTM codes. Uh, and that's pretty clear, <laughs> but you know, when you're falling through the cracks, you know, that, that can be really difficult, but I would, I would challenge everyone on the call to figure it out. There are ways to figure it out and you can, and would definitely recommend that you do that. And so, so that's kind of like, you're just overall like first, first principle thinking, like whether, whether I own SEO or content or events or social media, my number one thing that I want to try to figure out is revenue source from that channel. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You're not going to have perfect yeah. attribution, but it's like starting to solve the puzzle and having like kind of proxies for just starting to think like that, right? Exactly. And it takes a lot of work to do it. You know, when we were at Lessonly, we used Visible and I'm a huge fan of that tool, but it took probably nine months before we started to trust it. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of work. The other part is, you know, when you think about getting mm-hmm. revenue and this, this applies to all channels, but in organic in particular, Time to go from I'm starting this channel to I have revenue coming in from this channel. It's always a lot longer than people think. And one of the things that I think is contributing to that is um, most folks forget about deal cycle time. (laughs) If you decide to start paid search or organic search or anything today, and you have a 60-day sales cycle, you shouldn't evaluate it 30 days from now. And I see people doing that all the time. You know, you should be evaluating it, you know, 90, 120 days out, that kind of thing. Like let your sales deal cycle actually flow through. But in the case of organic search, you know, it's very non-binary in terms of are you doing well or not? Yes, you should be getting revenue. I would say you should be getting revenue definitely within the first year, if not for six months to some degree. But, you know, when it becomes a truly repeatable source of revenue for you that can take a little bit of time and so showing those like milestones along the way is really important can you go a level a level deeper on this is a question from krista which is great which i was going to follow up on like yeah okay so obviously overall goal revenue source from that channel but like let's go a layer deeper and say what are the two to three kpis that you as like cmo mitch or whatever marketing leader mitch is wants to get out of seo if you're the demand gen leader what are those couple kpis that are more specific yeah, absolutely. So, you know, backing out of revenue, I want to know meetings or deals. You okay, know, so you... meetings, meetings or deals from search. Yeah. So, are you know, are we actually talking to humans? And of course, you know, PLG world, you know, that may not happen. But are you getting deals? You know, is is it real business opportunity? However, you measure that. And then taking a step back from there is, you know, what's the inflow of those? So, whether you call those leads or you know, first touches or whatever you know, how many of those are happening actually on your site. You know, at the middle, we, we have reporting that takes it beyond that to look at Google Search Console and see like, where are you today? Where could you be that you're not even? So like, we definitely go further. But if I'm putting on CMO hat, I want to know, are we making money? Are we getting at-bats to make money? And then what's the highest level inflow? And then I ideally like to look at the uh, conversions between those as well. There's a lot of nuance in there though, right? Because... Yeah. Um... Like it's not as easy as just like, well, how many meetings do we get from organic search? Because so much of that content might not even be conversion focused. It might be an article that your company wrote like yeah. 
three years ago. How, do, how does that factor in to this? Yeah, I think it's important to figure out your rules and stay consistent. And if you're looking at this, if, if you have it defined well, and you all agree that that is your definition and stick to that definition over time, that's how I've gotten around it. That's probably not perfect at all, but that is how I've done it in the past. So you could take a more macro view and say that like, we're going to look at revenue from organic as an overall channel. So of all the traffic that comes to our website, the slice of it that is organic, we own that in some way. Obviously, there's some things you can't always control. Right. So you're, you're looking at that as a source. And then from there, you can drill down into, okay, of that organic traffic, what are the keywords? What are the landing pages and articles, right? How are those exactly. converting? What are the what are the opportunities? Where's the where's high volume, low conversion, or high conversion, low volume? What levers do we have to move each of these needles as then it ultimately drives meetings? Absolutely. If you're hiring a new you're hiring me, I'm a new SEO person on, on your team. What goal do I have coming in? Because one thing that I've one mistake that I've made with SEO is like either hiring for it or hiring an agency for it. You're like, hey, Mitch your goal is to grow traffic 30% this year over the year. And that is just like not, it's a terrible goal. Like it's not a real thing. So like, what do you want that person to actually come in and do? What do you do in the first month, the first three months? How do you break that down into weekly and monthly rhythms? Like what is that person, what should they be working on and, and what are their goals? Well, one really tactical thing that I love to do is I like someone in this role hitting a publish button on day one. So literally day one, I will challenge that person, hey, get a blog post out today, period. Because one of the kind of principles we've found to be true is that our most productive customers are always our most successful customers. You know, the folks that are just getting after it and not waiting around, that leads to tremendous success. But that's, that's one very tactical thing. I'd say overall, the most important thing for the first month, in my opinion, is audience, audience, audience understanding who the people are that your company is trying to attract, uh, understanding the their brain. We can tap into, I like to say Google is the single largest social experiment that has ever happened from a data perspective because they get like six to 8 billion data points every single day, 15% of which of you know keywords typed in are actually have never been typed into Google before. So it's just massive and it's always changing. So being able to tap into that uh, through you know, the keyword planner in Google Ads uh, and understanding your audience through the lens of what they're searching in Google, I think it's absolutely critical. Okay, Sarah, and then you get to production. Sarah says, is your SEO person responsible for actually posting normally? I haven't heard that before. I would probably say that in most teams, most startups, they, they might be. You might have to also do content creation. Like I've had it where I had a writer and the SEO person the SEO person actually owned kind of like posting and HubSpot, managing all that stuff. But I also think like to Mitch's point, even if the SEO person is not doing the writing, to have them hop in and like, let's go, let's update some old content on your first day. I think that's what you could mean by publishing a post. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, check something off a list that first day. I want to go back to this and then we're going to go to Andrew. Krista said in chat also, do you have a any real example of when SEO delivered or didn't deliver your new goal? Or your revenue goal, sorry. Oh, yeah. I've got tons on both sides. Do you want me to answer now? Yeah, give, give me like one or two examples from your career. Yeah, yeah. So 
I'll, I'll give you a, a couple from the lessonly world. That one that I shared that we got a hundred downloads within that first week. We, I think closed one customer ever from that. <laughs> and we had, uh, you know, we had thousands and thousands of leads that had come in from that, but they never got to revenue. And that's why I'm so passionate about holding to revenue. It's because you can get so many leads all day long from organic, but if they're not converting, then was that really actually valuable? Actually, yeah. it's probably negative because you just wasted a bunch of salespeople time. On the flip side, though, if you were to search for online training software, that's a very you know non-exciting keyword, but it is absolutely uh, critical uh, to their strategy and has led to many, many dollars of revenue coming in the door from that. I'll give you another example. I yeah. er, Early days of Drift for me, we were trying to build this category of conversational marketing. We didn't have a ton of content on live chat. I missed out on a ton of qualified conversations because we, di we didn't want to be seen as live chat. And so we didn't have an SEO strategy around live chat where the reality of it is I should have been fishing in that pond and then telling people about how here's how we think about it and and doing it a different way. And so I think I missed out on a huge slice of revenue. Okay, Andrew, let's go to you. So people don't have to just... I Hey, so I created Exit 5 to help you build a successful career in B2B marketing. First, it started off as my private podcast on Patreon, and many of you who listen to this today probably are OGs and remember that. I was talking about my lessons and learnings going from PR intern to CMO. Then it morphed into a Facebook group and quickly became one of the top resources for marketers in B2B SaaS. Today, this is a full-blown company. We have three full-time employees and ambitions to grow the team and keep building and hire more people this year. And we're investing in everything that's working, which right now is everything. It's amazing. We're making a big update to our community. We're doubling down on this podcast to serve the 5,000 people that listen every week. We're investing in our newsletter and written content to help the 16,000 people that get our emails. We're even hosting our first in-person event in September. We're building Exit 5 to help you grow your career in B2B marketing because really there's no school for B2B marketing. You can't get a degree in how to build pipeline and there isn't a playbook for how to get promoted in your career. And that's why I'm telling you right now to go and join the Exit 5 community. Go to exit5.com. You can click join right there. There's a free seven-day trial. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you are one of those 5,000 people that listen to this podcast every single week and you have not joined our community yet, go and do that. At least go and check out the seven-day free trial. You'll sign up. You'll put your credit card in, but we don't bill you until seven days. It's a seven-day free trial. And this is, this is really Dave. We really do all of this. I want to build a company that is customer friendly. And that means that if you sign up and two weeks into this thing, you realize it's not for you, you can email us and cancel. But I want you to go check it out. It's a seven-day free trial. Go to exit5.com. You can get in our community and you'll see why it's so much more than just a discussion forum. Exit5 is a B2B marketing resource that's there for you when you need it the most. When your boss comes to you and says, hey, we need you to come up with an ABM strategy for this year and you've never done that before, you go to Exit5 and you ask that question or you go and search the hundreds of posts before. Um, when you want to look for a new job but you're not ready to post about it on LinkedIn yet, you can quietly browse for open roles and see who's hiring inside of exit five or maybe you need to build a peer group of other people in your job function but linkedin is too broad to dig through you can find out who else works in product marketing in your niche or who else who else is a director in the one million dollars to ten million dollar company range you can do that inside of exit five maybe you want 
freelance, maybe like you need to make a video in a pinch and you need recommendations for a freelance videographer that can work on your next product launch video and they're located in the US and within your range of budget, that is why we built Exit 5 and that's what you can go in there and do. So go and check it out, exit5.com, start a free trial and we'll see you inside of the community. No, it's just, you're just on, on camera in front of everybody sitting there trying to, yeah, <laughs> trying to hang out. I should have my actual t-shirts on for this. Uh. Consistently the top, Andrew's consistently the top commenter or contributor. So uh, I'd love to see this. Go ahead, Andrew. You got, <laughs> you got the mic. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Mitch, good to see you. Um, yeah, can you talk about you. link building? I always thought about SEO as kind of like brushing your teeth, but like link building is like the flossing, like the, the stuff <laughs> that people don't actually do. Like your doctor's yeah. always asking you like, hey, are you actually uh, doing that every day? Can you talk about how that's changed over time? Uh, I mean, we got to the point where we we're literally putting this on PR, putting a quota on them of how many outreaches are you doing, domain authority and stuff like that. But I've been out of that game for a few months and want to know what the latest is. Well, link building is uh, definitely the like ugly underbelly of SEO, past, present and future, I think. And the I got a couple of it, link building emails this morning to build some links on my website. <laughs> if anybody would like, I'm I could sure. forward them to you. Yeah, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. And the reason why it is so targeted, you know, we, we don't have people emailing us every day saying, hey, here's some really great free content for you. You know, the reason why people, uh, you know, really focus on link building is because it is it's the tiebreaker. It is the most impactful part of the algorithm. If all the other things are equal, that is going to break the tie. That's why it's viewed as so important. But Google absolutely rewards anything that is more effort. So the, the more effort of the type of link, the more likely it will actually have that impact. So Google is really good at knowing, yeah, people are getting emails every single day from all of these companies, you know, and they have lists, they have literal lists of websites that they know that are being pitched from those companies. And so they know that the level of effort there is almost nothing. Whereas getting published in TechCrunch, that's really difficult. And so that's, that's always gonna be better. So yeah, at the end of the day, my take on link building is, if you would be doing it anyways, you know, if you were doing fill in the blank thing anyways, I would do that, but filter it with how can I get links from this? So if you're doing PR, I would not have a quota of links for PR, but I would say you should be doing PR and you could scale PR for the sake of PR, but then along with that, actually, you know, have that filter of links as well. Well, isn't, it, isn't it also like yeah. chicken and the egg? Like it's like, isn't the best link, link building strategy, wouldn't it be great content? Because yeah. ideally you're not emailing people saying, hi, we wrote this article. Can you link to it? It's like you create this amazing piece of content that everyone in your niche is talking about and they're linking to it and sharing it around. And that's how you build links. Like that's absolutely, I'm not an SEO expert, but obviously I talk about every topic. Like I am an expert. I just can't see a world where you have someone on your team reaching out for the sake of backlinks, I just, that feels like a decade ago tactic. Yeah, that today is just like maybe you'll get a meaningful link from that, but like there's just no way that that's going to be worth anybody's time. And then the only way to do it is to automate it, which is the really you know spammy, junky way of doing it. And so it's just like, is that really worth it? Or like maybe if your content team is doing like one killer pillar piece of content every month, maybe you send out a couple outreach emails with that, not asking to link to it, but maybe like. I used to always hit up like our VC firms, partners, investors, advisors, asking them to share content like 
that we did. And so I also think it like can speak to this pillar of content approach, which is like, you can't promote content every single day, but if you create one pillar piece a month or two a quarter, you can do it like during these occasions. Yeah, exactly. That is definitely the best way to truly scale. Because a lot of times when you look at the deficit of yourself versus a competitor, you're not talking like two or three links. It's usually an order of magnitude larger, whether it's a thousand or 10,000 you know, links. And to think of conversion rates of email to links, I mean, you're going to have to send out a million emails you know, just to get that level of link. So why not take that same amount of time, do what you should be doing, be a part of the conversations on the internet and, you know, forums and Quora, like all those places that you should be anyway. And then also add a link while you're there. All right. I want to go to this question in, in the Q&A from Cameron. And I would love to do another video Q&A if you're out there. Although I just got this message, mouse battery very low. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the worst if you you have this mouse like once it's out you're like you're not working for hours because you got to plug it in it's the worst thing so Mitch you might have to drive later okay um, perfect how do you think about the growing this is from Cameron how do you think about the growing challenges that privacy lack of tracking ability present for the attribution and SEO specifically the fact that you are not able to track all of the visits yeah absolutely I think it goes back to what I said earlier about just staying consistent and I know people don't really want to hear that, but at the end of the day, there, there was never a point in time when it was exact. There was never a point in time. Google Analytics, uh, not a lot of people know this. Uh, when you get a report from Google Analytics, it is not real data. It is a sample that they have extrapolated. Mm. Unless you're paying for the 360 suite, even that is technically not accurate. So uh, you know, there's this misconception that there has been a better time in history. It's really not. To me, there's always been holes all through our measured marketing, but yeah, you just have to be comfortable with you know that margin of error. And if you have it defined, and you know everyone bought in from the top down, you know everyone bought in of the definition of what you're tracking and stay consistent with it. I think that is the best result. Never ever try to get accuracy to be the primary concern. What would happen if there was no Google? search data could you still have an seo function i think so if there was none i would then rely on third parties more than i do now like i i really like we use exclusively google apis in our reporting because it's from the horse's mouth if they cut that in the future you know third parties would be what we would lean on i was just yeah. thinking like yeah obviously all the search is happening on on google but there's so much value in that knowing even take out the keywords like which pages are getting organic traffic, which are converting, you could still maybe come up with proxies in some way. Yeah, because it's all observational, you know, like, but that's interesting to hear you say that it's interesting to hear you say that that, you know, Google data is not perfect also. And so it's just like another reminder to like, use it directionally, but ultimately, you got to be able to take it as an input and then go make a decision. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, here's another one for you. This from Andy. Can we get Mitch's perspective on in house versus outsourcing SEO? A bunch of people upvoted this one. Yeah, for sure. So it all depends on your team, in my opinion, and, and your goals and, and what you're trying to do. You know, there are so many different ways to slice this cake. But my personal opinion is that the strategy and management of SEO should be internal. You should have someone who is tied to that as part of their personal KPIs. In demand gen. In demand gen, yeah. 
from a content production perspective within organic search, which I, I talk a lot about content because you know the way that I break search down is into three buckets. We've already talked about two of them, but one we haven't yet. So we call it, we have an acronym called ICE. So it stands for infrastructure, content, and endorsements. Infrastructure is the technical stuff that you know a lot of people equate SEO to the technical stuff as well. Totally disagree with that. It is such a small part of it, especially these days. It can be impactful if done wrong, but it's never going to be the reason that you win. And so that's like check the box and move the heck on. Then you get into content, which is there's so much room in the content world to grow and to create revenue. And then there's endorsements as well, which we talked about uh, it, that we call links or backlinks. We call those endorsements. Okay, hold um, on. Well, let's pause on this. And so, yeah. so this is your kind of overarching SEO framework. It has three pieces in it, the infrastructure, the content, and the endorsements. On the infrastructure, let's just briefly talk about what's in that bucket. Um, yeah. Because I don't know. Does it yeah. just mean the website? What does that mean? Yeah. So technical things, yeah, related to website stuff. So things like URL structure, URL consistency. Everyone on the call, I would I would recommend going to your website and see if both the trailing slash version of your URLs and a non-trailing slash version of your URLs are rendering. If so, that's actually a canonical problem. I won't go into more detail, but take a look at that. Things like that. So like, how's your URL structured? What's your page speed? You know, that kind of stuff. Okay, great. Second one is content. Yep. That one I think is obvious, which is how do you execute? You know, what's the actual creative? What's the content? Articles, videos, content on the site. And then exactly. what's endorsements? So endorsements is links. Yeah. Cool. Yep. You could almost think of measuring the SEO role by this framework, right? It's like, hey, Dave, you're our new SEO person. The three things that you own are infrastructure, content, and endorsements. And there's goals around each, like infrastructure. We need to complete XYZ project by this date. Content, do this by this date. Endorsements, set a goal of building X number of links. I, this is great. People like this. Yeah. And if you didn't know, chat people that really liked your your framework oh, okay good. good so yeah. okay I, sorry i wanted to get you to, to explain each one of those and i'm coming back to this i take a lot of notes and whatever so in-house versus agency really depends on if that's what seo is supposed to do infrastructure content endorsements you're going to hire in-house versus agency based on who's on your team today current expertise today what's available in the market don't you think it's hard to just say in-house versus agency because like what if you want to hire in-house, but you actually can't? You cannot find an SEO manager that you're going to pay 120 grand or whatever. You can't find that person. So then you only have right. one choice, right? It's, it's very challenging right. to say. Oh, yeah, it is for sure. And yeah, I'm glad we went through that framework because that is how I would think. It's like, do you want in-house or agency for infrastructure? Do you want in-house or agency for content? Do you want in-house or agency for endorsements? And just acknowledging that they don't all have to be the same. And, and frankly, a lot of times my preference would be that they they're not all the same. Someone who's really good at creating relationships and community management, like whoever's running your social media, that should be the person who's doing the endorsements. Totally different thought process than the person who nerds out about making sure that your trailing slash is your canonical source. <laughs> Very different people. Right. Wait, so how does social media own the endorsements? Yeah, so I think that the person who's going to be good at social is the similar personality type of someone who is going to be good at endorsements as well because mm. it's all relationship building. Got it, it. You know, the things that you should be doing is having conversations that are, you know, externally facing like what a social media person would be doing. 
Yeah, and it's like a natural extension, and you're not going to carve out a separate headcount person just for that one thing. Right. Okay, so I was going to say, like, infrastructure, you could definitely hire an agency. Yeah. Content feels like a more challenging one, but I also see a lot of SaaS companies that have a content team and also a content agency, so they can just do more at scale, right? Yes, that's what I was going to say, was my because I think the question was, what's my preference? My personal preference is to have someone on the team dedicated to managing content, but not have them create much content. I love to see, you know, a a lot of freelance work. I love to see a lot of, uh, you know, industry subject matter experts. I love to see taking other employees from the team and, you know, uh, subject matter experts from the team and having them engaged in content creation as well. So I personally like when that person on the team who's the content manager is genuinely managing the flow, managing the strategy, but not necessarily typing in the words. I think that to me, that's like the dream hire for for like who owns SEO. It's not just the super technical person. It's like, I'm going to hire Mitch. Mitch is content manager. That is not content producer. He's not creating content. He owns the pipeline of content. And that, so not only does he own the pipeline, but he's managing all the sources. Like you mentioned, I think that's great advice, but he also owns the infrastructure. His team owns it. I think that's the best way to separate it out. That's great. And just a mindset, the content manager versus producer. Yeah, exactly. And the biggest benefit, I think there's a lot logically that makes sense there, but in practice, the biggest benefit is burnout or lack thereof. If you've got one person and they've got a quota to crank out content, that person will burn out. No matter how much they love writing, they will burn out. So I love to distribute that load across as many people as possible so that every piece of content is fresh and not just a stressful exercise for the person creating it. Well, it should be like a team thing. Like, So ideally, you have like somebody yeah. who manages content and someone who creates content. And the content person is just like, I'm a writer. She's like, I love, I love writing. Let's talk about what topics are. And, and those are, it's not just like the, the writer is just coming up with topics on her own. She's working with the content manager who's giving her a list of like, here's some things that we need content about. Then you have exactly. these two completely separate roles. Like, Exactly. Okay, we had another question in chat that I want to get to. This is from Carl. Could you talk to the different types of content and search types and the alignment needed, if at all, would be good to get an overview? Great question. Yeah, absolutely. So Google, over time, over the past two decades, has gone from a single algorithm to what they call a universal search, which contains so many sub-algorithms. You know, I, I watch, I actually watch a ton of YouTube I'm big into like off-roading. So like I'll skip Netflix all day long and watch YouTube. YouTube, obviously probably the most popular and common example of that. But, you know, video content, there's a separate one for image. There's a separate one for maps. Now we've got podcasts in the mix as well as a separate index and a separate, you know, ranking and all that stuff. And then when it's jammed together, you know, that's where you get universal search. And so, you know, I think a question I get around this a lot is, what should I do for image search or what should I do for video search and things like that? And my advice is don't start with the media type first, start with what keyword you're trying to attack first, because if you can understand and in order to find that, understand your audience first. So if you can understand your audience, you can understand their mindset from that giant social experiment that is Google. 
You can understand what they're looking for. It's as easy as going in, typing that into Google and seeing what shows up. If there are images there, you better believe you should be dominating that image search result. If there are videos there, you should have all four or five videos in that carousel. But if there's none of those there, don't worry about them. Just focus on the keywords that you're trying to tackle and focus on doing the best that you can for each of those, not necessarily starting from media type and going from there. I also think he's talking about um, like different types of content and search types. Well, this could be one, so who knows? But I'm also, there might be, isn't there like another or a different layer, which is understanding your buyer's journey and what different types of searches. So if someone's going to buy Lessonly or whatever, how do you work backwards? And so like, do you have a framework for making sure that those things are kind of mapped out? Yes, absolutely. So we actually have a lot of that baked into Demandwell when we're prioritizing keywords. Like that's literally how we have mapped out our like prioritization formula. And essentially what I would say, you know, we, we work with SaaS companies mostly. So apologies for those who that doesn't apply to, but in that world, in the SaaS world, keywords that contain subwords like software, solutions, comparisons, alternatives, those kind of things that are just so indicative of someone who's lower funnel. That to me is, you know, much higher priority to tackle those first. I always like to start with as low in the funnel as possible and work your way up. So that's kind of our, our low tier. The middle tier is where we talk about things like that say, you know, templates and guides, examples and samples, you know, that kind of thing where it's clearly someone who's in the loop and they're looking to do a better job of what they're trying to do, uh, you know, at, at their job. And then the third bucket, kind of the tofu idea, top of funnel user searching would be things like what is fill in the blank or mm. why is fill in the blank important and that kind of thing. I am a huge believer that you should have content across all three of those buckets. But I personally would start with lower funnel and then work towards mid and then work towards top. It's great, great advice. I hope people caught that. Just like to be able to come out of this session today and just hit pause on like, hold on. If you don't know that, because most companies are just cranking out content, new blog articles, new this, new that, new website content. But if you don't first have this mapped out from bottom to mid to top, why go create more blog posts when you don't have examples, you don't have guides, you don't have templates, you don't have how to map all those things out. It can be an hour at the whiteboard, you know, map all those things out and figure out maybe we have some pages that already exist. What other content? I love that. Even just like the simple philosophy of like, how much do you think about your funnel and you're coming to your website as cold traffic, warm traffic, and hot traffic? There's going to be different search terms that get people there. Also, I think not only is starting at the bottom of the funnel smart from a conversion and revenue perspective, but for most companies, that's going to be a more specific keyword. And so like if you sell marketing automation software and you want to get someone to join, you know, it's going to be hard to do that writing very, very top of the funnel, 15 marketing quotes, you know, as your piece of content. It, it grounds you in that bottom of the funnel product marketing content. Exactly. And and going back to timing of success, it is so critical to start at the bottom, you know, because to, to that point, you know, let's say whether you are interested in demand well at all, ever or not, if you're doing any SEO and you, you know, you're starting SEO today, 
and you think, I'm going to create a blog post, this incredibly high funnel blog post. The reality is the people that are searching for that are going to be months away from being interested in any kind of actual sales opportunity. So what you've just done is taken all your time to create this piece of content, you plug it in, and then at the soonest, you should expect three to six months later, and then you've got your deal cycle, and then it's going to be potentially revenue or not. Whereas if you start low funnel and that person's ready to buy in the next two weeks, those are the kind of people that you can start to really crank out revenue from organic search way faster than if you just kind of let it be. Well, that's great advice. Well, I mean, you at least, you at least need that foundation. Yeah. It also kind of sets the bar for like, you can do top of the funnel stuff, but it can't be average because the goal of top of the funnel stuff should be to increase a name of awareness of demand well we're going to do this top of the funnel article and yeah maybe it's nine months away from a sales cycle but because we want to drive more awareness and so you do this top of the funnel article you do this top of the funnel campaign all of a sudden now two months later 20 percent more organic traffic to demand well that's how these two things work together you have to be able to think about them separately because if you try to do them if you just take this advice, you're like, well, then we're never going to create any top of the funnel content. So Mitch, do you hate top of the funnel? It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> They're just, you have to be able to do both in different places. Okay. We got yeah, a bunch of different yeah, questions and priority. I got more follow-ups. I want to follow up with quick one for you before we go back to questions. You mentioned YouTube. Should the SEO, given how the rise of video content on mobile, all that, like is YouTube a channel that this SEO person also needs to own? It's not just blog content today. I think again, it goes back to the audience. You know, and, and, and the keywords are searching. If by and large, you know, you can find that there's videos throughout your industry, heck yeah, you should be on it. But otherwise, I would not. Yeah, because I see a lot of B2B companies make the mistake. They just kind of like take videos that they did and upload them to YouTube. But that's not right. going to work. Versus like what you're talking about is like, oh, there's clearly a niche of off-roading YouTube content. How are we going to get into that conversation by creating unique content for that? Um, exactly. Good advice. This is from Spencer. Would love your perspective on selling the SEO investment internally to executive audience who puts high value on typical sales slash in-person tactics. I'll add one more, like just short time to value direct response tactics. How do you sell SEO? It's difficult. It is. You know, we we are all creatures of impatience. <laughs> we we all want more and we all want it right now. So it is difficult because because you are having that battle, you know, at that kind of like soul level. So I'll acknowledge it's difficult. What I like to think about though is one of my beefs right now, uh, which again, I you know, I am a huge fan of every channel. You know, I, I do not think SEO is the only, and I don't necessarily think it's the best. You know, it just depends on your audience. But one of my big beast right now is the difference in investment in paid search versus organic search. You know, we talk to folks all the time who are spending 10 times on paid search, what they are on organic search and making a return of call it one and a half times or so. It's like, okay, you're making money on it, but you're spending a lot to get that. Yeah, but do you know why? CFOs love that channel because I I can tell them, okay, if you give me 50 grand, we're going to give you X. It's very it's harder to do that with SEO and so it's 100% not the right strategy, but like yeah. 
once you realize that this is how decisions get made at the executive level, yes. it's not. It's actually not a battle about SEO or not. They don't care if you call one green Skittles or blue Skittles. They just <laughs> like that it's very easy to measure and predictable. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so what's bizarre to me, you know, over time, organic search has gotten this rap of being free, which is so far from the truth. But at the same time, it's got the lowest customer acquisition costs. And so it's so interesting because that CFO is going to see low customer acquisition costs and think, I don't want to invest more in that because we're getting so much out of it per dollar without considering well, if you could 10x, you know, if you 10x your investment in it, you would get 10x the results. So to me, it's just this very backwards thinking where, you know, this extremely low CAC, high potential channel, which is SEO, is getting a tenth of the investment of a very high CAC, low potential. And if you turn it off, you know, it goes away, channel like paid search. But that doesn't really answer this question. I well, think it's on, about I, I think yeah. I think I think what you said is important which is like ultimately SEO can be an amazing channel but it first starts with your business. And so if your business if traffic is important to your business and it's different to every if you sell to, you know, super enterprise, it might be way different but like if you can tell any story Mitch I'm talking out of my you know you know what right like I'm just making <laughs> this up but like just tell me if this logic is wrong, but this is how I would think about it. Like if we can, ultimately the goal of SEO is to drive revenue, but how does it actually do that? Well, improving SEO means more traffic to our website, period. That's all that matters, more traffic to our website. Can we tell a story that if we grew traffic to our website X, that that would lead to Y in in revenue, right? And so if you're in an industry where the website is important and you're talking about conversion and website metrics and traffic, then... I would ground it in that story. Like, hey, I'm going to show the CFO, hey, we're going to spend X on this investment in SEO. Here's what it means. Because I've talked to CFOs about this and they actually, once they understand it, they actually love it. They're like, oh yeah. Because yeah. when you talk about it paid, they're like, I've literally had to show a CFO like, no, no, no. The paid stuff is CVs. The one, he's like, oh, I, I never click on those. Exactly. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get on the, you know, this first three search results. And if we can do that across the board and with these uh, search, you know, with this intent, we think that we can grow website traffic 30% in the next year. At Privy was a company that I was at, for example, where they had a free trial motion and website traffic was one of the number one signals for new trials. And so we could very clearly show if we grow website traffic 50% in the next two years, that will equal this many more trials. Here's how this is going to cost. And so I think you got to be able to come at it from that perspective. But there's definitely businesses where website traffic is not as important, right? Absolutely. And I'm glad you said, you know, the word like, here's what it looks like over two years. That's what I was going to say is, you know, my biggest advice on when you're selling it is sell the sell the long-term vision. It is a long-term channel, not just because it takes a long time to ramp, but once ramped, it sticks around. You know, uh, we like to say that SEO is, uh, yeah. is compounding. Well, like I've it's, been like, man... If I made that SEO investment two years ago, I wouldn't be banging my head against the wall so hard trying to hit our number right now because I would, you know, the website traffic baseline would have been forty percent higher. So I've always felt it in reverse. Like I wish I did yeah. this two years ago. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if you can internally pitch three years from now, here's how much traffic we could be getting because it compounds over time, it's additive over time, and it sticks around. You know, if you can pitch that, you're going to have much better luck. But 
your company and 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 those you know in charge may not care about the long term and may want to just nail this quarter and if that's the case you know no matter how you slice it seo is going to be difficult to sell in that situation and you know i think that's okay but if you can convince folks to think of a bit longer term it becomes very obvious very quickly that it's the right call i was going to ask you about um and this kind of came up in this but seems like one of the best fits for seo is a company like canva for example right where what does canva do they make a free design tool and I don't know if anybody's ever seen this, but what's amazing about their marketing strategy is they basically, every search term for like how to edit Instagram posts or, or you know, images for Twitter banner dimensions, they own every search result for that. But it's not just a blog post on how to do it. They actually drop you right into the Canva editor. And all of a sudden, you're going from Google search for the thing that I was searching for to I'm actually doing it. That's like the ultimate recipe. But oftentimes, the further you move up the funnel because of marketing, like the more enterprise you might be, obviously, they're selling to small businesses. It's a much different motion. It gets much harder. But like, don't you think, isn't something like Canva an amazing example of that? Where like, that's a company that is invested in SEO. It's not just a blog strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're, is your assumption here that like SMB markets are more likely to get value out of search than enterprise? I would say it's my bias and I wanted yeah. to hear your your opinion on it. My bias is that like if I was a CMO at that type of company versus a much more enterprise, I'm struggling to see how I would articulate like here's why we're going to do SEO in the enterprise. So I would yeah. love to hear your your like thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a lot of thoughts on that and I've helped a lot of enterprise companies with SEO. In my background, you know, I've helped FedEx with theirs, uh, Sears and Kmart. This was about 10 years ago with Sears and Kmart, you know, a bunch of different folks. And I always like to say enterprise people are people too. You know, you think about the 6 billion to 8 billion searches that happen in Google every day. Enterprise folks are using that. And, you know, I'll just share back from Lessonly days, you know, Nike came to Lessonly through the exact same downloadable piece of content that, you know, your standard SMB person would come through. I believe actually T-Mobile even came through a, a similar uh, similar download. You know, when I was working with FedEx back in the day, they were some of my favorite people I have ever worked with. But interestingly, the, the person that I was working with on SEO, who like ran SEO for FedEx, she was an intern three months earlier and knew nothing about SEO virtually. And that's FedEx, you know, and our, our goal was to outrank UPS for the word shipping. That was the goal. And that company and, you know, and, and I think it's great because FedEx is huge about like hiring from within, but they had someone in place who was not, you know, fully capable of doing that and, and needed help to do that. So I, I would not assume that enterprise folks um, always use some sort of back channel forester for every decision. Yeah. They, well, that, they I mean, do they, a lot, still. But, your your point is good, which is like they're still using the internet, but right, it's going to require a different approach than Canva would because you're not driving to some, you're not necessarily driving to some conversion point. You might measure it differently, yeah. even in that like the attribution funnel might be different, which is like maybe they've read pieces of content. Because I just think you try to get when it when you try to make it too like, well, they're going to read this article and then click book a meeting with sales. That's not how it's going to happen. But it's like. You know they've been coming to our website for three months, and they read they read these four articles and then reached out. Like, don't you have to you have to kind of piece it a little bit together more to tell a story than you can in like the Canva model, right? For sure, the actual deal cycle is way longer. 
actual, you know, website life cycle is way longer as well. Are you okay with like measuring like content, like influence then in that, in that world? For sure. Yeah, I think you have to. Okay, we could do a hundred more questions, but there's one more in chat and then we'll wrap it up. Womp, womp. Uh, <laughs> Mitch, this has been amazing. You provide a ton of value. Obviously, I think people have a million questions. They will go to the Demandwell website and reach out to you for some reason or another. But let's end on this. I want to end on this one. Um, this is from Amy. Question for, hey, Mitch, question from a writer's perspective. Could you talk about what happens to a piece of content like a blog post, let's say, once the SEO person gets in front of it? Like, What's the handoff there? What are they doing differently? Yeah, absolutely. So, how do you SEOify um, it? Yeah, the SEOifying. I like that. I like that. What we like to do, and you know, the way we built our product, because that's how we did it offline before it was a product. I think the writer should know that SEO is important and valuable to the company, and be bought in on it, and be empowered with the you know words that should be included. So, I like you know, it says like you know, from a brief with no keywords. I think right there, you've got it wrong. Every content brief should have keywords in it if the intention is for it to rank in organic search. And I think the writer should be the one who's actually integrating those in. It is such a waste of time if you do it the way that's described here, in my opinion. If you have the writer doing their thing and then you pass it to SEO and it's just so siloed and it takes that SEO person forever to fit it in because it wasn't the intent. But if you as the writer can see here are all these words that I should include. And we absolutely always are of the mindset that we're going to give you a bunch of words, but you don't need to use 100% of them. If there's one that just doesn't work out, don't use it. But you should at least know what those words are. And the reason for that is because it is, again, going back to the social experiment of Google, it's understanding your audience. So isn't it great if you could write something for someone knowing what they want to read uh, before you've even written it. That's great advice. Having briefs also would would be helpful, but like ultimately, it's got to be some collaborative process where like you're each meeting weekly or twice a month about the editorial calendar together and strategizing around what content you're going to create and then why. Uh, Absolutely, okay, Mitch. This was awesome. Do you have any parting words or parting thoughts before we we get out of here? Yes, I do. I have a, I have a quick thing I'd like to point folks to if you're interested. Yeah, in- please do it. Yeah. So obviously, uh, if you're interested in demo, check out demandable.com. It's a pretty uh, standard conversion path there. But uh, we also have this really cool thing that we call the share of search report. And we also call it the FOMO report because it essentially allows you to quickly understand you know, how you compare to your top three competitors and help you understand what are you missing out on. Uh, it shows you your essentially your total addressable search market your market share of that and how much you're leaving on the table. So if you want to check that out, it's demandwell.com slash FOMO, F-O-M-O. And we'd love to chat. And as Dave said, you know, if anyone wants to reach out with additional questions, you know, personal mission statement, I am here to help others grow. That is what I'm all about. So would love to help you all as much as I can. Awesome. And instead of just sending people to your website, just a meta marketing lesson, like create a great, create an asset like that actually gives value. I mean, this is like, Back to like HubSpot website greater. This is a great idea. Mitch, thank you so much. I'll see you backstage for two seconds and then we'll and then we'll carry on with our days. Everybody listening, watching, wherever you are, live in the future, sometime on demand. Thank you. Check out Demandwell. Go look up Mitchell Kazi on LinkedIn and make sure you connect. And uh, we will see you on a future episode. I think this was a really good one. Thanks, Mitch. Excellent. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit 5 podcast. If you're in B2B marketing and you want to grow your career, you should also go and check out everything that we have over at Exit5.com. We've got articles, we've got videos, we've got templates. Plus, we have a community, a community of over 4,000 B2B marketing pros. Whether you're deep in your career and want to connect with your peers or just starting up and you want a place to go where you can see what people are talking about, get smarter about B2B marketing in your own time to grow your career and help grow your company, Go and check it out. It's exit5.com. You can get on the email list there. You can join the community. There's 4,000 marketers in the community. We have a job board. We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. And I also want to make sure I give a shout out to my friends at Hatch. That's hatch.fm. They produce this podcast. It sounds amazing because of the work that they do. And they work with B2B companies just like yours. They offer unlimited podcast editing and strategy for businesses. You can get unlimited podcast editing and on-demand strategy for a low monthly cost. All you got to do is just upload your episode and they take care of the rest. Go and check them out. It's hatch.fm. Hey, it's Dave. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability rate of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no meetings. This is the silent nightmare for us marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. When the most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can see how Ashby does it right now on Apollo's site. Marketers using Apollo have seen email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get? Head over right now to apollo.io slash exit5 and start using it completely free. That's apollo.io slash exit5. You can start using the tool completely free. You don't even need a credit card to get started. Go and check them out. apollo.io slash exit5.